I'm wearing that special shirt that I told you about last week. My Smarty Pants staff, they got this for me. It's one of one. Now, if you're a car guy like I am, that's a pretty special thing. But today, we wear it to rejoice that God has been good to us to give us the summer, the chance to be here together to worship today with a smile on our face and a, and a joy in our hearts. Let me tell you, friends, this was a big week. I know many of you were here, and I want to say thank you. Those of you who served faithfully all week long, we could not have done this without you. Thank you for serving the Lord, for serving these children and their families, for serving our community, and for serving the kingdom of Christ right here in Midland. Thank you. We are better for it. On Wednesday of this week, we held the um, invitation day where we invite children to respond to what they've heard throughout the course of the week. We talk to them about Jesus every day, but on Wednesday, it's the day we give those who choose to the opportunity to respond. I want to tell you about Wednesday. Just like we do on Sundays, we invited them to come down here. If you want to respond to the gospel, then let it be known by coming down. I was standing right here in front of the flowers and stand with me. 72 children did exactly that. 72 children. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Hasn't God been good to us? It was a glorious week, but an exhausting one. Somebody told me when I walked in this morning, Darren, you look tired. Uh, yeah. There's a reason that we designated tonight family movie night. It's because we could all use a Sabbath. So we invite you tonight, those popcorn boxes that we set out last week, put them into use tonight. Be blessed as you share an evening of fellowship together. I want us to begin today with a time of prayer. Let's start with praying for our rec team. If you pay attention when you are leaving today out on the lawn of the uh, the AB, you'll see a recreation wagon, our rec wagon. This is a new one. It's not even sticky yet. And so we'll praise the Lord for that. It is a new trailer that our activities ministry, led by John Elliott, our activities pastor, bought with designated funds that have been given over the last several years. It is one that we dedicate today in the honor of Jesus Christ, but in also a memory of Charlie Elliott. He would have loved that, that thing that isn't sticky yet, but it will be to the glory of God and one that will be used to honor the Lord. We dedicate that this morning. We also dedicate the rec teams who will lead day, day camp this week. They'll be leading it right over in our AB. God is going to use that week in a great way in a lot of lives. We also dedicate our rec team that's traveling to the beautiful metro metropolis of Lawn, Texas. If you're like me, you'll have to pull out Google Maps to find where that is. Not far from Tuscola. That helps you much, doesn't it? Abilene area. Let's just leave it at that. Friends, I want to tell you, God is up to something there. And our team will leave this afternoon to go and serve the Lord in lawn. There will be kids that will come from all over. More children than, than are in some of the school districts in the region will come to the events this week. God is at work. We want to dedicate them. We also want to take time this morning to pray for the Southern Baptist Convention. The pastor's Conference starts today. 
The conference itself will begin early Tuesday. We ask that you pray with us for the wisdom of the Spirit of God to guide us. We'll look forward to having a family talk, kind of like we did about a year ago, about the concerns that are affected with that in the days to come. But for today, it's a day to pray. I invite you now to pray with me to those ends. Today, Lord Jesus, we thank you for an amazing week. It is no small thing, Jesus, to have walked through where we did this week. For the first time since COVID, Lord, this in my heart felt like we were back to normal. Thank you, Lord, for that good gift. Thank you for each of the volunteers, and thank you, Lord, for their faithfulness in serving you and these children. I pray, Father God, your blessing on those decisions that were made. I pray, God, that you would use them for your glory. I pray, God, that we would do right by following up on them as we've already gotten started doing. I pray, Lord, that each one of those decisions would grow to be mature, fully developed and fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to serve together. What I saw most this week, Lord, was the joy in serving you as a family. Thank you for that. We pray, Lord, your blessings on the trailer that has been bought. Thank you for Charlie and the memory that, that we have of him, but thank you also, Lord, for the legacy that he leaves. I pray your blessings over all those who will be served by that trailer, and I pray, Father, your blessings on those who will serve in it, our rec teams. Bless their work this week, Lord, whether they're here or in lawn. Use their lives and use their words, use their hands and use their hearts. Finally, Lord, we lift up the Southern Baptist Convention meeting this week. This is your church, not ours. This is your convention, not ours. Let us handle it as if we must one day hand it back, because indeed we will. To you and to your kingdom. I pray, Father God, you would guard our hearts, guard our tongues, guard our words. I pray you'd watch over all those who intend to travel to it. And I pray, God, that you would grant us wisdom and discernment, that your leadership would be paramount. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the chance to share together today. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, my friends. So, in the book of Esther, we find 10 chapters. 10 chapters that are almost like a melodrama. A melodrama that plays out quickly. It's a short book, and it is a curious one. It is the only book in the Bible that never mentions the name God. Hmm. It almost got left out when they were putting the Bible together for that very reason. I'm so glad it didn't. For in Esther, we see living with courage at just the right time. You know, to understand the story, you really have to understand what courage means. It's the ability to do something frightening, maybe even terrifying. It is the strength to face the pain of grief or loss, or at least the possibility of that. And when we see our friend Esther, we see one who did exactly that. 
Let's talk about Esther's life in eight acts, shall we? Kind of continuing on what we did last week, and that works so well for us. We'll just jump right in with it here. In Acts 1, in Act 1, the queen says no, and she is dumped. Like a load of gravel on a broken road, she is dumped. When you read through it, you'll find in some of your translations, his name is Xerxes, in some of your translations, it's Asurus. It's the same name in Greek, and I know that doesn't make sense, but trust me and go with me on it for now. We'll call him Xerxes today. Xerxes is the king, and he's having a big day. He's having this big party, and he wants his trophy wife to come out and be displayed. He wants her to come out and let everybody see how beautiful she is. Now, ladies, I'm not going to ask you how you would feel about that, but I know how my wife would feel about that. Not so bueno. She wouldn't care for that, and neither did Vashti. She refused to come. And in the culture of that day, that just wasn't done. You don't refuse the king. As such, our friend Xerxes dumps her, drops her like a bad habit and says, I will not have this example set for the rest of the men who live in my kingdom. Vashti, you are deposed. A search was enacted then for a new queen. That brings us to act two. Esther is raised up. I want to take you to that chapter. If you're not on that page already, then flip over there to it. For in it, you'll see that Esther was not looking to be the new queen. That role, rather, came looking for her. You see, God had placed in her life at just the right time the right person. Oh, friends, God's like that sometimes. I want you to think with me, if you will, about people that have invested significantly in your life. I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about themselves. Maybe it's your parents. Maybe it's a, a person who was your employer. Maybe it was a, a teacher or a professor. The fact that God put that person in your life at just the right time says something about how God prepared them for you and you for them. In my own life, there are several. One that I call Papa Chuck now. He's a man that I didn't know before I started working for him, and, and now he's part of our family. Can I tell you today, my friends, God used him just like God used Mordecai. Esther's story doesn't start when Acts, uh, Act 2 begins, though. It starts long before that. See, her parents had died. Mordecai took her on to raise, and raise her he did. His adopted daughter was a significantly beautiful lady. Neither Mordecai nor Esther led on as the search was enacted that they were Jews. That would have been a disqualifying factor. But Esther out of all of the others, was chosen. She was selected. Mordecai, as he felt responsible for her, hung around the gates of the king's palace just to kind of keep an eye on things and keep tabs on the situation. He hung around for a year as this process 
worked its way through. In God's grace, she won the favor of the king and his servants. And in Esther chapter 2, she was raised up to be queen. Now, I want to take you back again to what I said a moment ago. She didn't come looking for this role. It came looking for her. But could it be that God had this plan all along and that it wasn't a surprise to him? Right at the tail end of chapter 2, we find the third act. Act 3, a treasonous plot foiled. As Mordecai was hanging around outside the palace, he caught wind of some scurrilous fellows, some knuckleheads, as I like to call them, people of ill repute, people that didn't do wise, people that were foolish, and they were plotting. They were plotting a coup. Their intention was to murder Xerxes. What happened after that, it wasn't entirely clear. But they were filled with rage at the king, and they decided the best thing that could happen to him was for them to kill him. Mordecai got wind of it. He reported it to the king, reported it to the palace. The two culprits were caught and hung. The event was written down in the official records of the king. Here, friends, is where things begin to fall into place. Can we put a pause here in Acts 3 just for a moment and talk about Lego? I know you've missed talking about it. When you're building a Lego, you must start from the inside out and from the bottom side up. You can't start on the outside, the finishing product. You must start with the core. And sometimes, every now and then, you'll do something on, say, step 14 that won't make a lick of sense. You'll look at it and go, why, oh, why am I doing this? And then by the time you get down to step 74, you'll see how the engineers had planned it in just the right way that all the pieces come together and that all those master design elements begin to flow together. If there is a significant act in the first half of our portion, it is not Esther rising to be queen. It is Mordecai foiling the plot. Is one of them necessarily more important than the other? After all, the book is named Esther. If it's so, Mordecai is so important, shouldn't it have been Mordecai? Perhaps but when we see this portion, we recognize that this treasonous plot is one that the master designer, God himself, is going to use later in just the right way. Act four. Here's where the dark music begins to play. Haman, the villain, enters and builds a murderous plot. In Esther chapter three, we meet Haman, a high-level bureaucrat in Xerxes' kingdom. He was as arrogant as he was well-placed. He expected all of those who had any contact with him to bow before him. 
paying homage to them just because he happened to walk past. Only Mordecai refused. The fact that this one, Mordecai, refused infuriated Haman. It's almost like we can see Haman twisting his mustache like the villains of old, twisting it with the idea of, I'll get you, and indeed he cooks up a plan, a plan that he will take care of Mordecai and all those who are like him. The plan was simple. Let's exterminate not just Mordecai, but all of them. Wipe them out from the face of the earth. So Mordecai, I'm sorry, Haman goes to the king and says, Hey, king, I will pay literally a king's ransom if you will endorse my edict. There, there are people who don't respect and honor you. So let it be that on the prescribed day, we wipe all of them out. Now, if you're a king, the one thing that you most want to do is protect your kingdom, right? The king hears this, and if you're a king, then generally speaking, you need some grease for the wheels, the finances to keep the whole thing rolling. This man stands before you offering to pay a ransom. If you'll just sign off on an edict to have people you don't like anyway killed, what's the difference, right? Little did Xerxes know he was signing a death warrant on his own wife. Act 5, for such a time as this. This is the section my friend Keith read so well just a moment ago. Mordecai hears of the plot. He, he comes to Esther, and he says, Esther, you have a problem the problem is that Esther has not been called to see the king. And if she goes uninvited, it could mean her life. She could be exterminated simply for showing up uninvited in the king's presence. Only if he extends his scepter to her shall she be spared. Esther knows this, as does Mordecai. Mordecai says, you have to go to the king. Go to him and say, O king, end this edict. Stop it before it's too late. The problem arises then of Esther. She is faced with, on the one hand, her loyalty to Mordecai, to the people of God, and on the other hand, Loyalty to her king. She must choose only one of them. Does that sound familiar to you? Sure does to me. For we live in a culture right now, right here, where we're stuck in the same spot. We are caught between our God who compels us to holiness and purity and our culture in which we live and operate and do business and go to school. Our God who compels us to holiness and our culture that mocks that from the outset. 
We cannot choose both, friends. Let me say that again. We cannot choose both. We can only have one at any given time. Now, all of us will vary between those from time to time. There's no question about that. But there will come a time, and I think it's here now, when, like Esther, we'll be faced with a situation where we must choose. What will we choose? If God is in our story, then where is he in our story? If God is in our story and he longs for us to let him write it, then how will we respond to our culture? We have a couple of choices. One is accommodation. We can modify our version of the kingdom of God, and we can do so by inviting the culture into the kingdom. But there's a problem with that. It's a little bit like a grape that I dropped yesterday with my lunch. That grape could not have rolled any closer into a dirty, dusty corner than if I had put it there my hand by hand. I had a choice to make when I picked it up. I could choose to eat it. After all, it had been less than five seconds. That's the rule, isn't it? Or I could choose to purify it. Hmm. Which one did you choose, Darren? I ate it. It had been less than five seconds. I felt like I was good. That's a silly story. You understand that. But too many of us will make that same mistake with cultural issues. I want to take you back to Act 4 for a second and our friend Haman. What is it that got him so, so dropped down, so beaten back, so depressed? He had everything. He was richer than you can imagine. <coughs> Excuse me. He had the ear of the king, and he had all kinds of opportunities. What made him so, so sore? Pride. Friends, we are in Pride Month. I don't have to tell you that. And I want to remind you, it is the original sin. Do not allow yourself to be infatuated with being swept away to say, Oh, well, I want these per certain people to feel good, to feel loved, to feel accepted. Everything I've read about it says that's what the whole goal of Pride Month is. I want them to feel better. Now, nobody wants anybody to feel bad. But sometimes the truth must be told, friends. And the truth is that there are some things that are wrong. Period. This is not helping them to make out otherwise. Now, back to our story with Esther. Caught between loyalty to her people and to her king, she declares that she will go, realizing the truth of exactly what Mordecai said. She has been raised, raised up for such a time as this. God has given her this moment to be obedient, to change things, to see the movement of God and to act in powerful ways. 
So Esther concocts a plan, and that brings us to the sixth act, a banquet to remember. She invites Mordecai to help her in prayer, and she invites the king, and she invites Haman. But to do so, she must go to the king. God had prepared his heart, friends, and when Esther appeared, he extended the scepter to her exactly as they had prayed. I want you to come to a banquet, that's all I ask, Esther says, and bring Haman with you. Ha <laughs> ha, Haman was over the moon. Uh, but on the way home, to tell his wife, he encountered Mordecai. He was infuriated. No amount of riches, position, or recognition could wash away that stain. His wife came along beside him and said, okay then, build a gallows and hang him on it on that designated day. The plan was made and the gallows constructed. Act 7, a sleepless night for the king and a day to remember for Mordecai. Esther chapter 6. The king has a sleepless night. To bring rest to his mind, he has the chronicles of his kingdom brought in to read to him. You see, the essence of that is that government readings then were the cure for insomnia just like they are now. Let's be clear about that. In it, he hears again of Mordecai's selfless act and how nothing was ever done to honor him. When sunrise comes, the king sets his mind on honoring Mordecai. But who can help him? As the Lord would have it, Haman walks in the door. The king asks Haman a loaded question. What should be done for the one the king wants to honor? Haman, in his pride, thinks it's him. In his arrogance, he says, who else should the king want to honor? So Haman concocts this huge, elaborate plan. Be dressed in the royal robes, ride the king's horse, be led through town shouting, thus is done to the man God, the man the king approves of. Imagine the look on Haman's face when the king approves the plan for Mordecai and says, Haman, because you had such a brilliant idea, you lead the horse. I want you to imagine for a moment how pale he got. How awful that pit in his stomach got. Thus it happened. Dressed in royal robes, seated on the king's horse, Mordecai was led through town with Haman holding the reins, shouting, this is what happens to the one the king approves of. Sickened and humiliated, he returns home. But he had no time to grieve, for the king's men arrived to take him to the banquet. That brings us to Act 8. Esther reveals Haman's plot and Haman's demise. This feast begins and stretches into its second day. What a party! Finally, Esther steps forward with her request. Spare my life, 
and the lives of my people. If we were only going to be enslaved, I wouldn't have said a thing. But spare us, O gracious king. This is the first time the king understands that this plot includes Esther. Infuriated, the king says, who would enact such a plot to strike down the queen? The wicked Haman, Esther replies. In terror, Haman watches as the king, trying to orient himself, gets up and walks out of the room just to gather himself. What a curveball he's been thrown. His most trusted advisor now is after his queen. Haman realizes his life hangs in the balance. He begins to beg Esther for his life, and he approaches to do so. And in his eagerness for his own life, he stumbles and falls upon the couch that Esther is seated on. Just as he does, the king reenters the room and sees Haman in what looks like an accosting position to his wife. Will you accost the queen in the presence of the king? Immediately, the king commands Haman's face to be covered and seals Haman's fate. What shall we do with them, the king asks. Hang him on the gallows he built for Mordecai. And so it was. Now, there are three more chapters that follow after that, but I'm already out of time. Now, I knew I would be. The last three chapters reveal how the day before all that was supposed to come into place, there was another edict sent out, and this one allowed the Jews to fight back. The whole thing came to nothing. Mordecai was honored and raised up to an elevated place in the kingdom, and Esther, Esther, she ruled righteously until the day the Lord called her home. God, in his right timing, in his right thinking, in his right planning, he had the right people at the right place. Now let's talk about some things Esther would want us to remember. One, God will put you at the right place at the right time. He will put you in the right place at the right time. The question is, do you have the courage to trust him once you're there? Two, a willingness to stand for God's people is likely to be costly. I can assure you, friends, in our culture, it absolutely will be. Three, courage doesn't mean fear disappears. Many times we think if we can work up enough courage that we won't be afraid anymore. I don't know where that place exists, but I haven't found it yet. Sometimes courage means standing on trembling knees. Four, a bold stand invites God's power when your strength is gone. Can I offer you this word of encouragement today. Our God delights in us standing firmly 
and what he declares right. When we trust his strength, then we find something in him and in ourselves that we didn't know we had. Make a note right here on this one to read Psalm 56 later today. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. The last thing Esther would want us to remember, God can and will keep his promises. Well, which promise is that, Darren? Let's just focus on one. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Today, friends, we are living in an age that has declared the feelings of humanity to be greater than the righteousness of God, or at least equal to it. I invite you today to think differently. I invite you to see that there will be only one who stands at the end. As we talked about in our Revelation series, we know how the story ends up. It is not a human judge who stands in the seat of judgment at the end. It is Jesus himself. It is Jesus who is seated on the throne. It is he who makes everything new. And if I'm going to play to an audience of one, let it be to him. So if you're here today and you would say, okay, I'm ready to trust Jesus that way. I never thought about it quite like this, Darren, until now. Then here's what I want you to do. When we stand up to sing, then you come down here and meet me and say, I want to trust Jesus that way, Darren. I want to trust Jesus that way. Maybe you need to come to this altar, just like the children did earlier in the week, and say, Jesus, do it in me. Give me boldness. Give me courage. Today is the day to trust him. Will you do so? Let's pray together. So Jesus, we know that there are a great many challenges that will cause us to be afraid. And we know that there are things that look awful scary in the dark, especially. But we also know, Jesus, that you are trustworthy. You have made your promises and you will keep them. I pray today, Lord Jesus, for courage. For those of us who desire to live a life that honors you, grant it to us in abundance. We live in an age that says it's courageous to mock God. Lord, forgive us for not standing more firmly and more clearly against that. But now, Lord, give us courage to stand up and be counted and to say, Jesus, I want to stand with you. I want to be on your side. I, I don't want you on mine. I want to be on yours. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would move in each of our hearts here today. And like Esther, when we're faced with that moment of courage, 
let us be reminded that it is just for this very moment that you have made us. Do your work now, Lord, in each of our lives. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.